you're listening to a sermon from Iron City Church. We encourage you to use this podcast only as a supplement to your regular attendance or membership of a local church that faithfully preaches the gospel. If you're in Birmingham, we would love for you to visit Iron City. See more details at our website, ironcitychurch.org. Silence is powerful. Silence can raise your anticipation for a word to be spoken. Silence can make us hungry for a sound. Silence can sometimes be sweet, right parents? I know our upper elementary kids are in here. I know our upper elementary kids, most all of you have younger siblings and silence can be a good thing, right? Silence can also be painful. Pastor Isaac mentioned it earlier where maybe a third of you were in the room. Has anyone ever given you the silent treatment? If so, we can get to the point where we think, I would rather have someone yelling at me. I'd rather for you to yell at me than to continue on and give me nothing but silence. Silence is powerful, but silence can also be painful. In our sermon text today, the prophet Amos is prophesying about a coming famine in the land. Not a famine of food, but a coming day when the people of God will have hunger pains for the word of God but the Lord will be silent. As Pastor Isaac was planning this Advent season, he told us we were going to do one verse sermons during Advent and asked me to pick a verse on waiting on God in the midst of silence. And my mind almost immediately went to our sermon text today, Amos 8.11, if you will turn there with me. My dad is a pastor, I've, I've said before, when preaching through the Minor Prophets, my dad has called this the clean part of your Bible. It's also the one you may be least familiar with getting around. And so uh, there are those Black Pew Bibles in front of you. Uh, it's on page 722. You may need that page number more than ever uh, tonight. And if you're visiting with us and you do not have a copy of God's Word, we'd love for you to take that Bible with you as our Christmas gift to you. I hope even the sermon will make clear that that's the greatest gift we feel like we could give you is to have a copy of God's word. The context for Amos 8 is that Israel's repeated unrepentant sin, and in the book of Amos, it's primarily the injustice against the poor. We see in Amos 8 verses four and five, we see that they are having these imbalanced scales that over and over again, the scriptures say that God hates They're cheating the poor out of money. And because of that, because of their sin, it is leading to God's silence. And they end up getting 400 years of silence from the Lord. Israel rejected the words of the Lord. And so they would go into exile, which means they would leave the promised land that God had given them. The Africa Bible commentary says, Israel's religious feast 
will be replaced by a terrible fast, a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. So I hope you have found Amos chapter eight. We're gonna be looking at verse 11 today. This is the prophet Amos writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says this, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. We have two points in this sermon this afternoon. Point number one, if you're taking notes, waiting on the word in a famine. Point number one, waiting on the word in a famine. Israel's sin has led to God's silence. How do you respond when God is silent? Does it make you angry? Does it make you growingly apathetic to the things of God? Or does it make you more hungry to hear from God? Within Israel, people experienced all of these things during God's silence. Pastor Isaac preached last week about Israel waiting in captivity in Egypt for 400 years. Now, they're going to have to wait in silent exile for another 400 years. Waiting is hard. Right, kids? Waiting is hard. My kids, the Pew Kids, love Christmas. It's hard for us to wait to experience what we love and what we're longing for. In our house, we've experienced in the last few weeks, anytime a box comes in, our kids think it's a present coming for them. And just the fact that we tell them they have to wait to open it, uh, at least especially for one of our kids, makes it feel like punishment right now because it's hard to wait. Waiting is hard. Waiting in silence is even harder. Just last night, went to pick up our eldest Haddon from his basketball practice at his school. I had just gotten home from the elders retreat. Olivia asked me if I could go and pick him up and I was excited to go and see him. He's the only kid I hadn't seen since being home. But as I went, I forgot to take my phone. I thought I was arriving early and Olivia had told me to go up to the school door and I went up there. I didn't see anybody and I waited. And because I didn't bring my phone, I could not contact Olivia or the coach. And so I waited in silence. For over 20 minutes, I waited, just standing there. And I finally realized that probably an idiot and waiting at the wrong door. So I did get in my car and drove around to the back of the school and saw a gate open and went in there. And sure enough, Haddon and his coach were in there waiting on me to arrive. Waiting is hard. We read together earlier from Psalm 65 about us waiting in silence. Waiting is hard, but waiting in silence without communication is even harder. 
December means that there is a lot of Kenny G playing that sweet tenor saxophone in the pew home. Other music that's often heard in our living room is Andrew Peterson's Behold the Lamb of God. I think it's the best biblical theology that I know of set to music. He gives the majority of the album to the expectation from the Old Testament for the coming Messiah. But then in between all of these Old Testament expectations and Matthew's genealogy, where he just sings all of these names from Matthew chapter one, there is an instrumental of a song we'll sing later, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And we were listening to that. And one of my kids this week said, are, are they gonna sing in the song? And Andrew Peterson, I think brilliantly, put this song in between the Testaments to signify the time of God's silence where there's the expectation for Emmanuel, for the Messiah to come. 400 years of silence. During this silence, some within Israel were growing in bitterness towards the Lord that he had allowed them to go into exile, that they were continually under a foreign unjust power for this long. Others were growing apathetic towards the Lord and in they were growing in disregard for the things that God had previously spoken. But the faithful within Israel were growing and groaning in their desire for the promised Messiah, for Emmanuel, God with us, to come and to make all things right. Again, how do you respond to God's silence? How does your heart respond to God's perceived silence in your life. It is entirely possible for us to feel like God is being silent when it comes to answering our prayers. Again, I just wanna groan with you in that. That's a hard place to be in when you feel like God is being silent and that you don't understand why. It's so hard if you remember back to Pastor Isaac's first sermon he preached here from Luke 18, where he called us from Jesus' parable to keep praying, from the parable of the persistent widow, to keep praying. And when you feel like God is silent and not hearing and answering your prayers, it is so hard to keep praying. If that's where you find yourself, know that we, the pastors, leaders of this church, would be honored to be able to process through that with you. We'd also be honored to join you in praying for whatever you're asking the Lord for and to pray for you in the midst of your waiting. But I also wanna make clear that we are in a very different time in redemptive history than Israel was when they were waiting for the Messiah during this 400 years of silence. We have God's revelation in full to us, available to us. Church family, we have a feast available to us every day, but so often we willingly choose to live in a famine. If you could keep one possession, you're not talking about people, if you could keep one possession, what would it be? Again, I want you to be honest with yourself. What is your most cherished possession that you would want to hold on to if you only could hold on to one thing that you owned? And as a Christian, would that be the scriptures? 
Would that be your Bible? A question that I try to always remember to ask in our membership class, and I've even asked publicly from this pulpit, is it, is it possible for you to be a faithful Christian and not read your Bible every day? I think our answer to that has to be yes, in one sense. I think one of the reasons why I would say yes to that is the majority of Christians throughout the history of the church have either been illiterate or did not own a copy of God's words for themselves and still were aiming to be as faithful as they could to God, to his word. So the answer is yes, but I think on the other side, the answer would be, why would we want to? Why would we want to live in a famine when we have a feast before us? I think most Christians, again, thinking about church history, would have rather lived in a time of having a famine of food and to be able to have the word of life in full in their language with the ability to read it. One of the things that I try to do during Advent is to choose a Psalm to memorize, meditate upon each day. Psalm 130 has been the Psalm been meditating upon where the Psalmist calls us to wait on the Lord. My soul waits for the Lord and in his word, I hope more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. What are you waiting on? What are you putting your hope in? Do you hunger for the Lord and his word more than for breakfast when you wake up in the morning? Almost every night I wake up thirsty. I'm just asking myself this week, do, do I long for the Lord more than I long for water to drink when my lips are parched and my mouth is dry? And a question for us to consider is whose words do you long to hear? Whose words do you long to hear most? And if I'm honest, there's been times, not just as a Christian, but as a pastor, have gone to social media to find good news more quickly than I've gone to the scriptures. And, and I don't know if you've been on Twitter or X or whatever it's called recently, it may be the worst place in the world to try to find good news these days. But the scriptures, the Bible contains the best news in all the world. And that's what we celebrate during Advent, isn't it? That the best news in all the world has come to us. Has come to us in Jesus. And that Jesus grew up and proclaimed this good news to us. And before Jesus went back to his father, he commissioned us to share this good news with everyone, to make disciples of all nations. Are we being faithful to receive this good news and share this good news? I, again, reflecting, meditating upon this verse from Amos this week and thinking about Greg and Hannah being back. How does Amos 8.11 affect the way we think about unreached people groups who still don't have the Bible in their language? who still are living in a famine. I think we often as Christians 
should rightly think about how to get food to those in the world who are living in a physical famine. When you think about that more and pray more for those people and do what we can to help, but shouldn't we be even more concerned with getting the bread of life, the word of life to those that are living in a spiritual famine? How about those who are here in Birmingham around us? How should Amos 8.11 influence how we interact with our family during the holidays? How we interact with our neighbors, with our coworkers who are living in a spiritual famine? when we have a spiritual feast to offer them. And it's true, you can lead a horse and people to water, to the living water, to the bread of life, but you can't make them drink. But it's also true by God's spirit, the Lord can use you sharing this good news, sharing this spiritual food with others to open their eyes to their spiritual hunger and thirst and how Jesus alone can satisfy The people of Israel were living in a time of famine during this 400 years, of God's silence, of longing for him to speak, of longing for the Messiah to come. But the good news for us is the wait is over. God has spoken. Second point tonight is the word has come in the flesh. The word has come in the flesh. This is what we read earlier from John chapter one. That Jesus, the eternal word, the one that spoke the worlds into existence by his word, came in the flesh. He was the light that came into the darkness. We see this again most clearly in John chapter one. But I want you to flip over to Luke chapter one. How does the Lord break his 400 years of silence? When does he speak first? Luke chapter one tells us. In Luke one, Israel is back in their own land, but they're still being ruled by a foreign power, by the Romans. It was like them getting to live in their own house, like you getting to live in your own house, but someone telling you and controlling everything that you can do in your own house all the time. The people of God were groaning and longing for deliverance. In Luke chapter one, we meet two unexpected but key figures named Zechariah and Elizabeth, both that were from priestly family lines in Israel. We find out in Luke 1, that this couple was blameless before the Lord, but they were also barren. They were not sinless, but blameless. They'd been forgiven because they had been counted as righteous by looking forward to the promised Messiah. And that faith had transformed them of desiring to honor the Lord by keeping his commandments. I'm sure this couple got married and was excited about starting a family together, but years went by with no baby. I'm sure people began to whisper behind their backs and maybe even say well-meaning but unhelpful things to their faces as the years went by with no children. 
If you've read, especially the Old Testament, you know that children are a big deal. That barrenness was a shameful thing. People probably question whether Zechariah and Elizabeth were really righteous if they continued to be childless. Zechariah and Elizabeth may even question that themselves. Maybe they're tempted to believe that they only had the Lord's favor if they could hold God's blessings in their hands. And we are so tempted to believe the same, aren't we? They prayed and prayed for a baby, but the Lord had been silent. How did they respond to God's silence? Even with this long disappointment in their marriage of no children, the social shame that came with that, Luke records for us that they were blameless before the Lord. They served him even when the Lord did not give them what they wanted. It'd be a good question, would we do the same? Are we that content in the Lord that over years of the Lord not giving us what we wanted, will we still aim to be blameless before him? The Lord had been silent for a long time, for 400 years, but was about to show up and speak in a surprising way. We see in Luke 1, this old priest, Zechariah, was chosen by Lot, which in human terms, that's by chance, but we know from the scriptures that the lot's cast in a lap, but the decision is in the hands of the Lord that Zechariah was the right one that needed to be chosen in order to enter the temple into the holy place to burn incense. And while Zechariah was just doing his thing in the temple, I'm sure he was already nervous. This was really like a once in a lifetime kind of opportunity for a priest to go into the holy place to burn incense. The unexpected happens. An angel, a messenger of the Lord shows up and the text says, and fear fell upon him. But look at the angel's first words to Zechariah in verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. The Lord breaks his 400 years of silence by telling the most unlikely of men that he will have a son, that his old barren wife will have a baby. But again, notice what the angel says in verse 13. Your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. I think it seems pretty clear from Zachariah's response that he wasn't just praying for that in the temple. I think it's definitely something that he and Elizabeth would have been praying together for a long time. But maybe now that he's really old, he hasn't prayed that prayer in a long time. But the angel shows up and says, the Lord has heard your prayer. Again, Pastor Isaac talked about last week from Exodus. In Exodus 3, we see after 400 years of slavery and silence, the Lord shows up to Moses at a burning bush and says, I've heard the prayers of my people. The Lord is patient. The Lord does not work on our timetable. The Lord is patient and his timing is perfect. Perfect. 
it's really good news for us that God's patient. But it can be really frustrating for us when he doesn't answer our prayers on our own timetables. We may not understand his timing, but you can trust him. If you ever doubt whether you can trust him, again, look to Emmanuel. Look to what God has done for you in Jesus and know that he loves you and you can trust him. You may not understand his silence to your prayers, but know that he hears you. And the promise of the scripture is that he hears the prayers of his people and that he will work in a way that is for your ultimate good and for his ultimate glory. It was referenced recently of Tim Keller and his passing away in this past year. And remember hearing him say that and one of the things that we can find comfort in in God's silence in our prayers is that if we knew all that he knew, we would answer our prayers in the exact same way that he does. We can trust him even in the perceived silence, even when his timing is not ours. Silence has a way of building anticipation for those who want to hear. It hardens those whose hearts are increasingly far from the Lord. But silence is a way of increasing anticipation within the people of God for those who want to hear from the Lord. Advent is a word we say a lot during this time, but it means coming or visitation. This is the time that we celebrate the Lord's first coming and groan and long for his second coming as Greg so beautifully led us in a prayer of anticipation for the second advent. I ask at the beginning, how do you respond to God's silence? But I wanna ask you here at the end, how do you respond to God's salvation? How do you respond to the word that has been spoken fully and finally in Jesus? Hebrews chapter one says that God has spoken through the prophets of old and many times in many ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son, who is the heir of all things. Fam, we are not in a famine any longer, but the word of God has come in the flesh. God with us, Emmanuel, he is Emmanuel even in our silent suffering, even in our questions, even when we are perplexed. God is with us in those things. He's given us a book in the Psalms to wrestle with him, inspired worship when we don't understand his ways, when we don't understand his silence. But again, when you are doubting, his goodness because of his perceived silence. Remember Advent. Remember that God has come in the flesh, that we are not living in a famine anymore. As we think about the Lord's table, we remember that we are no longer in a famine, but a feast has been offered to us through the word made flesh.
We celebrate Jesus coming by coming as his people to his table. And we can come because the word took on flesh. And the word who took on flesh had his body broken to the point of death so that you might be offered eternal life through faith. We remember that as we take the bread. As we take the cup, we remember that Jesus' blood was shed so that all of our sins, all the times that we have rebelled and hardened our heart to God's revealed word, so that we might be cleansed and washed from all of those things. This is the good news of the gospel that's come. Because God has come in Jesus, we can come to him. And if you are not turning from your sins and trusting in Jesus, we would ask that you would not come to this table, but we'd love for you to come to us and for us to talk to you about what does it mean to come to Jesus through faith? What does it mean to turn from your sins and trust in him? But for those of you that are, no matter how silent God may feel to you right now, or how much you may be struggling with him, or how much you may be struggling with your own sin, Remember how many temptations you've given into this week. The scriptures are clear that if you are faithful to confess your sins and turn to Jesus in faith, that our God is faithful to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. As I said earlier, we are often tempted to only believe that we have God's blessings in favor when we hold them in our hands. In this table is a time where we can actually come and hold God's blessings and favor in our hands. Remember his promises are as real as what we're holding. So it asks that you would take whatever time that you need in your seat to repent, to confess your sins to the Lord, but then come and to receive this bread, receive this cup, take it back to your seat, and then I will come up and lead us through The Apostle Paul tells us that we're to celebrate this table together until the second advent, until he comes, when God will be silent no more, when we will dwell in perfect communion with him for all of eternity. Let me pray, Lord, give us grace to live in light of Jesus' first coming and in light of the second advent. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are not silent. That you are there. But you are not a distant deity that's just left us to try to figure out who you are. But that you have sent your word that by your spirit you spoke to the prophets of old, but in the fullness of time you sent the word made flesh to dwell among us, to bring light into our darkness, to bring salvation to where we have rebelled against you. Father, we thank you that Jesus' coming 
shows us that you love us. You care for us and the brokenness of this world. Father, we thank you that we can worship a savior who isn't immune to our suffering, but knows suffering and brokenness more than we do. Father, we thank you for a savior that can cry out on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me and receive silence? He knows what it's like to receive silence. But we thank you because of that silence. We can have your word in full that's come to us. We thank you that we can know that your promises are real to us. So Father, we thank you that you've given us this gift of your son. We thank you for Jesus' table that we get to come to now as his people prepare our hearts to receive this with joy. And we do pray that you would use us to strengthen us to be faithful until the second advent, until Jesus comes again. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.